Welcome back, everyone, to the Vaccine Conversation with Melissa and Dr. Bob for another one of our early episodes of Season 2. We are back. We're excited. And we are bringing you guys some really interesting and compelling new scientific studies today with a topic I am very, very personally invested in and interested in, febrile seizures. So, Dr. Bob, you doing good this morning? Yep, you okay? I'm all set. I'm all, yeah, I'm ready. And Perfect. yeah, and I, I know this, this, uh, personally applies to you, you know, yourself, your children. And so, yeah, it's a very personal topic for you. And I've, uh, you know, watched you kind of, you know, go through this with your, with, you know, with serenity. And, uh, but yeah, it's interesting to find out how, you know, I don't think you even knew that this applied to you as a child as well until yeah, so recently. And basically, so for Serenity, what after her two-month two vaccines, she did not have a febrile seizure because she didn't have a fever. Um, she had more what's called absent seizures, staring episodes, and uh, because a fever was the only thing I was told to look out for. And when she didn't have mm-hmm. it, I assumed she was fine or whatever I'm seeing must be not that big of a deal Mm -hmm. or whatever until I learned later as I started to see the repetitive behaviors. But a febrile seizure is an extremely common vaccine reaction. And it also happens to children who have not been vaccinated as well. This is something that um, happens to children, but it is very, very frequent after vaccinations. And because how that schedule has increased over time, we're seeing this happen more and more. And according to the CDC, around one in 3,000 children from an MMR vaccine will experience a febrile seizure. When you combine that MMR vaccine with a varicella vaccine, that risk triples to one in 1,250. This is just according to the CDC. Now, when they when they talk about one in a million reactions and you think it's so rare and then you see about one in a thousand kids are going to have a febrile seizure. And, and the only reason that we're not up in arms about this as a public, as a society is that the medical establishment continues to tell us they're harmless. Right. They continue to use the word harmless over and over again. In fact, in the California legislature, uh, Senator Pan said this during the assembly health hearing Talking about febrile seizures, he said, and I'll, and I'll bring up those quotes um, later because I have the quotes from that, about how they're harmless. So why is this personal to me? Yes, my daughter had um, those experiences, but again, non-febrile. But I, as a child, experienced a febrile seizure with a fever of 106 degrees, and I had to go to the hospital, and it was convulsions, and it was the whole deal. Um I was not really aware of this part of my past until I experienced what happened with serenity and started to uncover medical history. See, my pediatrician never asked me had I had anything happen like that where I could have gone back to my parents and said, was I ever, you know, did this ever happen? But I did know that my nephew, so I have one nephew and his mother started to message me when my daughter was young that he was having febrile seizures and they were very serious. He was turning blue. He had to have an ambulance come. It was extremely serious. And he's had four or five of them at least. Um, He is fully vaccinated as far as I know, based on the schedule. And um, his neurologist is the one that told her this, there is a genetic link to this. You need to make sure and warn the other immediate family members. And that's when she messaged me asking me if I knew more about my experience as a child and how that related because she wanted to put this story together. So this idea, so we're talking about two really important things here. We're talking about febrile seizures, which are common and come often after vaccination. And we're talking about a genetic link to those febrile seizures. And genetic susceptibility is a big factor in why we have such a strong opposition to mandating doses of medical interventions when, when there are such things as this subpopulation of people. So this story was all kind of coming together to me back in 2015 when I started to learn more about all of this. And I started to realize, wow, I was hospitalized as a child for this. And I was put on anti-seizure medication until I was five, which is phenobarbital, which many people here know about or may have been put on. And and we're going to cover a study on phenobarbital in another podcast episode, something I uncovered that was absolutely unreal. And you will not believe what this study says, but you'll have to keep listening to find that out. So anyway, 
the point is, is that we have this information from the CDC that says that these are happening frequently. We have children that are responding to vaccines this way. And we know that there is a genetic and family history associated with this. Okay, this is really important because they're so frequent. But this all comes down to the idea that they are harmless. Everybody keeps talking about how they're harmless. And um, in fact, during, like I said, during the Assembly Health hearing, we're listening to Senator Pan discuss directly to Assemblywoman Burke. She says to him, why do you think that uh, a child should not be given a medical exemption after their child experiences a seizure? She said, I don't understand why they would not be granted a medical exemption across the board. And what he says is, because research has told us, medical literature has told us, and actually I have a, a video on this. I'm going to play this for you. All right. What's called febrile seizures, right? Uh, th that's actually caused by a rapid rise in their temperature. All right. And they can have a seizure. We also know, by the way, that children who have febrile seizures actually grow out of them and there's no long term right. neurological sequelae. All right. Mm -hmm. And it's not directly associated with vaccines, although some vaccines can cause fever and therefore can uh, this can happen. Tr trigger right. the reaction. But that would not. But because we know that this condition, because we understand this condition, we know this condition is not a caused by the vaccine and two is not does not lead to uh, uh, long term harm. Uh, that uh, that would not be a permanent contra you know, a, a permanent reason not to get your child vaccinated because we know that that's now if you have for example so that's if, you if it, that's what they have right I mean right that's the, not the only right. thing that yeah, yeah, could yeah, have exactly. happened so, so, and if you're the exception like right, this well, lady and not the rule okay. and then it goes on to Senator Pan dodging the question again which is something that yeah. we've seen over and over and wow. over again but he says we know that it does not cause long-term neurological nope. sequela. Yeah. No, a, no yeah. long-term harm. He says also, and this is why this is important. Recently, just this year, there are two studies that came out. They're both Danish studies that have shown with large, large population cohort study here. And on one of them, large amount of children that they are reviewing that febrile seizures are in fact not harmless. This is the whole idea that we have been banking on that you don't need a medical exemption for this because nothing happens after a febrile seizure. Well, one thing with my nephew, you know, you're supposed to grow out of this at five years old. Uh, he is now eight and he has been on epileptic medication now as a child at six, seven, and eight years old with a epileptic condition that he sees a, neurologic, a, neuro, a neurologist for, excuse me. So we're talking about this is not always harmless. Febrile seizures do not always end at five with no problems. We've seen that in other people, but now we have a study. We have two studies, in fact, and I want to just briefly... I wrote a post about this, um, Truth Part, I think it was 25, um, maybe a couple weeks ago. And I said, a new study released a few months ago that spans 25 years and includes 1.2 million individuals. Researchers compiled data on febrile seizures and epilepsy from kids born between 1978 and 2002. And they found that children in both groups had an increased risk of a variety of mental disorders. But aren't febrile seizures harmless? That's what they tell us, right? In fact, Senator Pan said during the Assembly Health hearing definitively that febrile seizures were entirely harmless and not worthy of qualifying for a medical exemption in the state of California. Well, a related study that's not yet published obliterates his statement of that antiquated belief system by showing there is a sevenfold increased risk of developing long-term epilepsy after just one febrile seizure. Wow. And that risk skyrockets over 42 times greater if you've had two or more febrile seizures. Hmm. 42-fold increase in your likelihood for long-term epilepsy. And it even connects to early mortality. Yeah. Now, that study that we're talking about, we will summarize, um, it was listed in, um, in a medical 
uh, a medical review publication that was talking about the release of it. And that study has not been released yet, but we'll, right. we'll summarize a little bit of that for you. But then there's another study that has been released that we're going to walk you through as well. And um, this is the study that shows an increased risk in developing a broad range of psychiatric disorders in later life after febrile seizures, not just after children with epilepsy, children with only febrile seizures, children with only epilepsy, children with both, all three categories of people of children will be at an increased risk of developing a broad range of psychiatric disorders later on in life. Quote, particularly in the youngest children, associations between epilepsy and psychiatric disorders have been seen, including attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and autism spectrum disorder. In older children and younger adults, psychiatric comorbidity encompasses a broad spectrum of conditions, including behavioral disorders, mood disorders, personality disorders, anxiety disorders, and psychotic disorders. Hmm. This is after having a febrile seizure as a child that is, quote, harmless. Okay? And I said, you may want to reread that part over and over again until it really sinks in. 1.2 million kids over 25 years, and the results could not be ignored. Why is this such a big deal? It's a big deal because these are really common vaccine reactions. We said as many as 1 in 1250, according to the CDC, not one in a million. And because they're saying that there's no lasting effects, typically, this research shows otherwise. This is why people are fighting for medical freedom with their own children, because they've seen these things happen. There's nothing normal about any type of seizure, especially on the developing brain of an infant or a child. And I really, truly believe that. There is no way to say any seizure is harmless. And people that are have been following the California law and follow laws that only allow for CDC contraindications... Seizures are not included as a valid reason to qualify for a medical exemption, even though we're looking now at data that solidifies actually long-term harm as a result. And then the last thing is febrile seizures after vaccines, as well as other types of non-encephalopathy-related seizures, um, do not qualify, like I said, for the state, and they don't qualify because they say they're harmless, so now that we have data that says they're not harmless, shouldn't they qualify? And how come these kids are not being protected? And the study says the psychiatric comorbidity of febrile seizures has been studied less frequently, possibly because febrile seizures have been judged largely benign with a favorable prognosis in terms of further neurocognitive development and mortality, meaning because they always think there's no problem there, they don't study them and they don't study the reactions and how it affects a child long term. In our study, we have shown children with febrile seizures do seem to be at a slightly higher risk of developing psychiatric disorders as teenagers and young adults, even in the absence of subsequent epilepsy. So even if you, your seizures that you had as a child don't turn into long-term epilepsy, you are still at a higher risk of developing psychiatric disorders. And it says this excess risk was present across a range of different disorders, schizophrenia, mood, anxiety, personality, and stress-related disorders. And, um, of course, that, that has its own risk when you, when you think about the kind of events we see in the country uh, with psychiatric disorders and how that's affected um, people in a negative way. Um, maybe there is a connection here. And could these physiological events from our past and childhood be to blame for what is happening to adults? So we're going to go into these things. This was sort of my post that kind of um, covered this. But the, the point is mandating pharmaceutical products that are creating immune activation events over and over and over again that have a likelihood for febrile seizures. This is why mandating that process is bad. And this is just one of the many things that can happen, but this is the one that is supposed to be nothing of concern. And now we have all of this data that is showing us, and of course the study is not from the U.S., this is not right. a shock to me because you right. just don't see that. And of course, one of these studies is, is published in a psychiatric journal because they can talk about psychi psychiatric relations. And it's not about vaccines. It's about febrile seizures. But the point is febrile seizures are a very common reaction to vaccines. And that cannot not be part of the discussion. Do you want to jump into yeah. one of the studies? Yeah, well, I, I wanted to, I guess, give a couple of thoughts um, uh, Thanks for mentioning you know, the, the the risk of, of febrile seizure from MMR and MMR chickenpox. Um, 
Um, there's for sure a risk of febrile seizure from the DTAP vaccine. It might be a little smaller than, than the uh, MMR risk, uh, but there's a big risk of febrile seizure from the flu shot. And uh, probably the highest risk of febrile seizure comes from when you get a flu shot at the same time as a pneumococcal vaccine. Mm, pneumococcal yeah. is one of the ones you get at uh, two, four, and six months where you wouldn't be getting a flu shot at two and four months. But if you get a flu shot with your six-month-old pneumococcal dose or you get a flu shot with your 12- or 15-month-old pneumococcal dose, your risk of a febrile seizure is something like one in a few hundred or something like that, some crazy high number. It's not you know one in some thousands. It's one in a in, in certain number of hundreds. And it was such a high risk that a few years ago, uh, some countries even uh, stopped giving the flu shot on the same day as the pneumococcal vaccine. If a baby was due for pneumococcal, you came back another month for your flu shot because right. of that high risk. And, um, and then finally... Some people would even argue that the MMR uh, febrile seizure risk is as high as 1 in 500. That's right. Yeah, so the 1 in 3,000 is the number the CDC will admit to, like you said. Um, But there are actually some good research studies that put that number as high as 1 in 500 uh, risk of febrile seizure after MMR vaccine. and. The way I look at that is, for me, it is about, you know, should you get a medical exemption after febrile seizure? I'd say for sure. But for me, there's another consideration. I think parents are always trying to decide, you're trying to make the, the best decisions with your kid's health that will give your kids the healthiest lifetime. They'll make them the healthiest they can possibly be for their entire life. So you're deciding whether or not you should do MMR vaccine on your child. You're deciding whether or not you should do any vaccines on your child. And knowing that a risk of febrile seizure is as high as maybe one in 500 from MMR or, or even possibly higher with, with other vaccines, especially if you combine all the vaccines together, you're creating a risk of febrile seizure in your child that's not a small risk. Mm. And unfortunately, if your child does suffer a febrile seizure, your child is now at, you know, the, the one study says, Sevenfold increase risk of what having epilepsy, having epilepsy, long term epilepsy. epilepsy. So that's after just one febrile seizure. Just after one febrile seizure. So, what is that risk compared to the risk if you didn't do the vaccine? You know, the risk if you didn't do MMR vaccine. What is your child's lifetime risk from not doing that vaccine versus your lifetime risk if you do do the vaccine? Mm -hmm. And if febrile seizures are not harmless, as, as the study is suggesting, they're not harmless, then you could almost argue getting the vaccine puts your child at more risk for lifetime complications compared to if you didn't get the vaccine. And, you know, I haven't seen a, an entire statistical analysis on that, but I think that's something that parents now need to consider given this new research. Well, so before going into the study that we actually have, where we can go, you know, line by line by, the one that has not been published yet that you've contacted the author, um, Mm -hmm. this was recently posted in Medscape um, at at a conference, international uh, international conference, but this is in Norway, to to kind of break the story of how febrile seizures in children are associated with a higher risk of psychiatric disorders and epilepsy. What I found interesting was the quote from the study investigator. And she has a PhD. Uh, She says, these findings are very important since both epilepsy and psychiatric disorders may have a major impact on the quality of life in affected individuals and their families. And because these disorders are associated with great societal costs. So we, we talk about not yes. only is it not harmless, but what is it doing to us on the bigger scale? What's happening when an entire subpopulation of teenagers and adults develop these mood and psychotic disorders as a direct result of something that happened to them as a child? How does this affect us and their own quality of life if, again, they're just harmless? Maybe the fact that we have been saying they're harmless for so long has been ignoring a group of people that really needed to be helped. And we have found ourselves on a trajectory that is is negative. And again, this is different than 
traditional vaccine reactions. We're not, this study is not talking about vaccines. It's just talking about the febrile seizure. But if vaccines can stimulate the immune system to create these types of reactions, then that's something we have to consider. And it's doing so frequently because they're getting so many different doses and so young. So this idea that you're going to affect the quality of life of the person, because if you are hampered by a difficult disorder that you have to deal with as an adult, and again, I, I mentioned this to you, but, and I, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I, I deal with anxiety. This is something that I remember starting with me in childhood and I didn't know what it was and nobody really talked about what it was, but it has definitely through my life been debilitating at times. And it's been through my teen years and into adulthood. And it absolutely affects the way I'm able to live my life. Now, I, I'm not taking medication for it. I, as you probably guess, I'm one of those people that sort of tries to, as much as I can, handle things, um, you know, alone without things. I mean, I don't drink. I don't do a lot of things that like, you know, I try to keep my body free of most things. Caffeine is about as bad as it gets and I can't even do coffee. <laughs> I have to do my, like green tea version yeah. to kind of balance myself. So um, when I first read this and I saw they specifically mention in the next study, we're going to go into anxiety disorder and the idea that it comes on in childhood and teen years after what happened to you as a child, like as in your early years uh, from a febrile seizure, I was like, I had, I had said to you before this study ever came out, I don't know if you, you remember this, right? I had said uh -huh. to you, I swear that this experience that I have, because there's nobody in my family that has anxiety. It's not like it's some kind of genetic disorder that we all kind of passed along and it's just, you know. Nobody else I know has it. And I'm the only one that had the febrile seizure. And I said to you, I don't feel like this was just random. I, I swear to you, there's a connection. The more I was learning about seizures and neuro neurological development and, of course, being on phenobarbital for a couple of years, you know, whatever handful of times that was, that that had something to do with it. And it was the weirdest thing for me. Like, I actually started crying when I read this yeah, because I yeah. just felt like... I sort of just felt like it's not me. Like, it's not just in my head. I wasn't just exaggerating. Yeah. You know, we're talking about like a scientific confirmation of people in my age range born in that same cohort that are experiencing these same types of things. And, and it does affect your quality of life. Now, granted, it's not, it's not like a permanent debilitating injury like what we see with vaccine injuries. But the point is, because it's affecting people, why aren't we studying it? Why is, the first, why is this the first time that we're seeing a study that, that connects these two things? Because when you go to 106 degrees and you're convulsing and you're in the hospital, you cannot tell me that that doesn't have lasting effects. Like there's just, like I said, nothing normal about that experience. And every one of these parents listening who's seen that happen to their child they know, regardless of your doctor telling you it's fine, part of you sort of knows something had to go wrong neurologically during that point, you know, uh, not to say it, it stops you from living a normal life, but, but it affects you in one way or another. And, and so this is absolutely true. This, this study, this first study, the investigators saying that this is important for us to study this connection because it affects the quality of life and that affects our society and has costs to our society. And I, and I think that that was really intriguing and interesting to me. Um, and then that study will be coming out shortly. And again, this was the study that shows there is a sevenfold increased risk of an epilepsy diagnosis after just one febrile seizure. And this even says before five years of age, you'll have that diagnosis. Yeah. And then it's a 42-fold increase if you've had three or more febrile seizures, mm. which is just an undeniable, undeniable risk that every parent should be, should be considering. But the second study, this is the one that has been published. Um, and, and can I just clarify real quick? Uh, in this podcast, we can't send you a link to the first study yet because... Um, it's not published yet, but it the, this doctor basically did what's called a presentation. Um, she presented her findings at the Congress of the European Academy of Neurology in 2019. So she's able to present her data right. to to the audience and give her presentation and, to and, summarize. Yeah, and to summarize of. it. But it's not a, a published study. So so first of all, we could, we'll just give you a link to the Medscape article uh -huh. where you can see what we just discussed. But uh, 
yeah, the actual publication of it will, uh, Not will yet. become later. Right. And, right. And, the, and the other article, let me give you the title of it so you can look it up yourself. It's called Childhood Seizures and Risk of Psychi- Psychiatric Disorders in Adolescence and Early Adulthood, a Danish Nationwide Cohort Study. And um, this is published in... What is this published in? I can't see it on the bottom <clears throat> of the page. Oh, this is a Lancet. Oh, cool. Um, where wow. this is published. And this was the very, very end of last year, but really sort of like kind of became more known kind of the early months of this year. But do you want to read that summary? Yeah. So like the summary background. Yeah. yeah. So oh, they, they talk about how you know pediatric seizures have been linked to psych- psychiatric disorders in childhood. But they haven't done large uh, population-based studies of psychiatric comorbidity in later life related to seizures. So they wanted to look at the relationship between childhood seizures and the risk of developing psychiatric disorders later. And then will you read the findings too before we go into it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, they they basically looked at um, a cohort of people born in Denmark from 1978 to 2002. And um, uh, let's see, they... They looked at all individuals who had an onset of a mental illness when they died um, up until, you know, the end of the the study period. Um, What they found was they they basically found um, over a million individuals who were born in Denmark who met the study criteria and they were followed. And it basically came out to approximately what they call 15 million person years. All right. Um, They found that 43,000 people had a history of febrile seizures, 10,000 had epilepsy, and 1,600 had both of those, all right? And what they came up with is 6% of of all these people, or 83,000, were identified with at least as having one psychiatric disorder. And then they kind of broke it down. Uh, to basically the risk of having a psychiatric disorder if you had a history of febrile seizures or if you had a history of epilepsy without febrile seizures or if you had a history of both disorders together. And they kind of determined what was your increased risk of having a psychiatric, psychiatric disorder. And they basically concluded that there is an excess risk of psychiatric illness that was associated with childhood seizures and was presented across a broad range of, of psychiatric disorders, but most notably schizophrenia and anxiety and mood disorders. And now the, the, the increased risk that they found in this study was not huge. It wasn't like sevenfold or 42-fold as, as the first set of data that, that you talked about. Well, the about. first set of data was about the risk of developing epilepsy after a febrile seizure. Right. This, is the re- this is the risk of having... Psychiatric illness. After either febrile seizure, yeah, epilepsy, right. or both. Right. And mm-hmm. they found their risk was, the risk was higher, and it was not negligible. And, right. and they, uh, um, they basically found if you have both febrile seizures and epilepsy, your risk of, of having a psychiatric disorder uh, is about one and a half times the risk. Uh, your risk is if you did not have you know, epilepsy or febrile seizures. So it's not, a, it's not twice the risk or three times the risk. It's, they came up with one and a half times the risk. Um, but that still, that's that's not. I mean, that's not a negligible risk. No, it's not. And so they talk about how you know four to five percent of all children um, have experienced febrile seizures, right? So this is it says it's the most common neurological condition in childhood, and it says they've generally been considered to be favorable, right, with no lasting implications. Again, this is what we just heard Senator Pan say on that clip. This is what you would probably hear Paul Offit say and anybody else that's, that's a spokesperson for the medical establishment, that febrile seizures are, have a favorable prognosis with little or no lasting, uh, long-lasting implications for child development. But it says, however, epilepsy does have this increased risk of adverse neuropsychiatric development. And the other study just told us after a febrile seizure, you're seven times more likely to have epilepsy. So we know for a fact that epilepsy is associated with an increased risk of adverse neuropsychiatric development, especially in the youngest children. And that's where they saw things like ADHD and ASD. And then the older um, 
the older children and younger adults, this is where they saw the um, behavioral disorders, mood disorders, personality, anxiety, and psychotic disorders. But what they say, and this is what I think this is so important, they say the nature of the relation between seizures in early childhood and psychiatric disorders later in life is poorly understood. And it's poorly understood because they're not studying it. And they're not studying it because they've had this long-term belief that they are harmless. And so that we are not seeing the data really being done to show what kind of dangers are happening, not just long-term, but short-term. And then they do mention... Um, It says many studies have reported a bi-directional relation between seizures and psychiatric illness, which suggests that these associations come from a genetic susceptibility. Okay, so one of the big arguments that we've been utilizing to help educate legislators in our state, and I know you guys have been doing this in your states too, is this idea of genetic susceptibility, this idea that there is a subpopulation of people that respond differently and certain components can trigger conditions that can be very debilitating for them. Um, You can't ignore genetic susceptibility. You can't ignore that. And new data as it relates to adverse events, new data is just starting to cover who is more likely to have adverse events. And remember, we covered Mm -hmm. these 11 studies. Was it 11 studies that we included in our legislator packets that we'll do a podcast on and kind of include each of those? Um, Genetic susceptibility, like I put in one of the signs we did, is a real thing. Right. And it's not something that is widely discussed yet. It's being discussed in small circles. It's not being discussed on a mainstream level and certainly not by the media. So what this study tells us is that it shows that there is an underlying genetic susceptibility for certain people that a febrile seizure is going to link them to one of these mental disorders later in life. And and knowing that that's the case, I mean, this is exactly why you cannot one size fits all medicine. This is exactly why you cannot just give all kids the same thing and expect the same result. And this is also why you have to have doctors discretion to write medical exemptions to protect children like this. You cannot deny that this is happening. And this is exactly what we've been fighting for. Right. And one of the things we'll, we will show you later just, but it really applies now is, is there is, there are studies that show if, one child in the family has seizures, has a seizure disorder, even unrelated to vaccines, that the siblings in that family have a, a much higher chance of having seizures after vaccines. And it's because of, of a specific gene. There's actually, they've identified the gene defect that creates that familial risk. Right. Um, where you're, you know, other kids in the family are more likely to have uh, uh, febrile seizures after vaccination if one family member already has seizures. And so it's, it's very compelling. And um, there, there's, there's a, a related research article that, that totally ties into this, and, and maybe we do a whole study on this as well in the future, but they've actually um, studied, and where was this? This was in, uh, in Pennsylvania and Connecticut. So here, uh, it was at uh, um, Pennsylvania State University College of Medicine, and it was at uh, Yale University School of Medicine. This study is called Temporal Association of Certain Neuropsychiatric Disorders Following Vaccination mm-hmm. of Children and, a- and Adolescents, a pilot case control study. And what they found, which just completely ties into this, is they found um, there was a, a, a definite uh, temporal association between anorexia, between somewhat between OCD and somewhat between uh, tick disorders and anxiety disorders um, and some other uh, uh, psychiatric disorders related to vaccines. And, and again, there, there are specific findings um, uh, where that uh, if you have an, that getting vaccinated uh, gave you a risk of anorexia symptoms, uh, 1.8 times higher compared if you were not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, influenza vaccination um, was also associated with a higher rate of anorexia. Um, uh, OCD was also associated with influenza vaccination, and so was anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And um, they also had association between hepatitis A vaccine and OCD and, and anorexia. 
association between hepatitis B vaccine and anorexia and association between meningitis vaccine and anorexia and chronic tick disorders. And so it's very fascinating. I mean, they're just now, this was in 1997, so they're just now starting to uncover, um, as you said, not only, you know, I mean, there's a link between you have a febrile seizure, you're more likely to develop chronic epilepsy. If you have febrile seizure or epilepsy or both, you're more likely to have psychiatric disorders. This study is adding that if you are vaccinated, you are more likely to have a variety of psychiatric illnesses. So it's kind of getting harder and harder to deny that getting vaccinated puts your child at a greater risk of certain lifelong complications that you might not have even have begun to even think of. Right. And of course, if you know that as a parent and you make right. a conscious choice with your spouse and your doctor to go that route, you absolutely should have that right. The point is, is that this mm-hmm. information is not given to parents so right. that they can make that cost benefit analysis. Maybe to you, that risk is so small that you're, you really are afraid of something like measles or mumps. And so you feel this is worth it for me, but that's the whole point is that, you know, because right. That's the whole basis of informed consent. And that's kind of, you know, as we know, not what's happening. Yeah, It did say that children with seizures are more likely to have just blanket statement. Children with seizures are more likely to have a diagnosis of ADHD and autism spectrum disorders. Just period. Just seizures, right? I mean, but, yeah. but in this case, I think they're talking about febrile seizures. I think right. just the point that you are automatically at an increased risk of certain things. Some things you have a slightly higher risk, some things you have a higher, like for autism spectrum disorder, you have a two and a half times increased risk of experiencing that. And it, for um, ADHD, I think it's one and a half. And, and people might think that that's small, but it's not small when that's an additional handful of people that would not have gone down that route. That's the whole point. Right. Um, it's more, it's meaning it's happening and, and there is some type of connection here. And their ultimate findings, like I mentioned at the beginning, say, uh, quote, in this large nationwide follow-up study, individuals who had seizures during childhood were at increased risk of developing psychiatric disease in adolescence and early adulthood. Now, does that sound harmless to you? No. I mean, it literally says... A large nationwide study, okay, seizures during childhood were an increased risk of psychiatric disease. We're talking about permanent psychiatric disorder here. And it says, um, these findings thereby suggest not only that children have seizures are, not only that children having seizures are susceptible to mental illness in childhood, but also that this susceptibility carries on to later stages of life. Okay, so not only is it a problem that you are susceptible to these mental illnesses, aka ADHD, ASD, in childhood after febrile seizures, but this susceptibility opens you up to these mental disorders later in life, including the mood and psychotic and anxiety disorders. So this is not something that we should be ignoring here. And this certainly doesn't seem like something that shouldn't qualify for a medical exemption when we're looking at aspects and family history and all the things, other things that have happened right. to children, this should be considered. Right. And, and in, in this study, you're talking now about the one that, that has been published yes. and we'll put a link to that. The one that has been published um, and, and the, the increased risk of disorders again, isn't high. It's like, it's between you know 20%, 50%, 40%, you know, higher risks of different disorders where they label as, you know, 1.2 right. times the risk or 1.5 times the risk. So it's not, again, it's not like the risk is huge, but I think parents deserve to know the, the risk. And, and, and you personally, I feel like ugh, if, if you could only go back in time, knowing that you had febrile seizures, right. knowing that you have anxiety disorder. And a nephew um, that had Febrile yeah, seizures turning febrile. into an epileptic dis- yeah, disorder. Yeah. Knowing that that's all in your family and then seeing Serenity have seizure-like activity mm-hmm. after some of her first vaccines. Right. Um, right what, was, was, did that happen D-tap, after yeah. some of the first vaccines? Like if, if you could only be, have been equipped with all of the knowledge and to put every puzzle piece together to say – um, you know, is the benefit of ongoing vaccines worth all the risks that we know about? Um, and I mean, 
you know, it's, it's hard to go back, but right. I, I know if you go back, you would. But uh, I think that's partly why we do what we do now is we want every parent to be fully equipped with every piece of knowledge they need to make sure they know which decision is going to result in a healthier, longer, happier life for their child. Right. And and that's why we're bringing this to you. But it, this, this directly applies to you because you, mm-hmm. I mean, had you been equipped with all this, you, you might have been more aware of, of realizing, hey, this happened after the two-month vaccines, let's stop. Or this happened after the four-month vaccines, let's not go on to the six-month and the nine-month. Or let's some give of it some time year. and reassess yeah, and let's yeah. kind of, let's let's look at this deeper instead of not giving it any time and going right in for again and again and then starting to see other things yeah. go wrong. Yeah, because again, I think it, what, something that I've changed over the years is when I've when I used to sit with parents and talk about do you do the vaccines? Do you not do the vaccines? Honestly, most parents really only looked at vaccine risk as could my child have some sort of sudden, severe, terrible right. allergic reaction, brain injury reaction, all yeah. those things that they say are one in a million. We know they're not one in a million, but they're kind of all worried about, you know, only a sudden severe reaction as if that was the only risk. Right, right. And, you know, you compare that to the risk of the disease and the diseases seem way more riskier because we know those terrible, severe, immediate reactions are so rare. What I've shifted over the years is is more, um, you know, the, the fact that we don't have any long term safety research, but we have you know hundreds of research articles that have looked at individual issues like this, like psychiatric right. illness and seizure risk, and so we know there is lifetime risk of chronic disease that is related to vaccines. I've now been you know sort of shifting the conversation to, uh, with patients. Yeah. Your child is probably not going to have a terrible reaction right away. So, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know, hopefully not, but let's also talk about, you know, what is the risk of lifetime, uh, disease and problems compared to what is your risk of, of the catching the the diseases now, if you don't vaccinate, putting all that together and something that the parents can process. And I will still say, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't think there is a right answer. It's just more, I'm trying to now frame that in parents' minds, that aspect of this instead of just the sudden immediate. Well, and also just based on language, you know, I hear a lot of people say like, we shouldn't be calling these diseases, they should be illnesses because they're childhood illnesses, right? But if we're going to use the word disease, just like this talks about psychiatric disease as ADHD, mm-hmm. that being a psychiatric disease compared to a childhood disease. So that's on par with the, the severity of what you're kind of dealing with, or it's an illness and an illness, right? Like yeah, yeah, either yeah, way, the yeah. same idea that it's not like we're talking about something that is guaranteed to kill you versus, oh, you might be a little bit hyperactive as a child. And people saying, how can you even compare those two things? I we're know, talking about childhood illnesses where you can go through them like the flu or something else with nothing happening to you versus having a lifelong problem with attention deficit disorder or something that affects your ability to work, to find a partnership and a relationship that works for you to be able to parent effectively throughout your life. I mean, there are things that that, you know, that can actually affect you forever versus having a child childhood illness. Not everything that we vaccinate for is the fatal disease that everybody thinks it is. And so when you do make the cost benefit analysis, it might seem like these two aren't even on the same playing field, but they are in a lot of ways. And, and I think that's something just like to point out. Yeah. And, and, but the, the, the counter, the counter to that argument you always hear in the media is, well, gosh, I'd rather have autism than die of measles. I'd rather have ADHD than die of measles. Well, the, that, that's just, that, that's a completely unscientific argument because that's assuming you're going to catch measles and you're going to die from measles right, if you don't course. vaccinate. I can almost guarantee every single person out there with regressive autism, where it seemed like it was a, you know, for sure cause where you lost all your, your skills and you mm-hmm. regress severely, you know, regressive autism, ADHD, uh, you know, chronic asthma, chronic uh, eczema, any sort of mental health disorder, any sort of psychiatric illness, I can almost guarantee every single one of those people would probably rather have had measles as a child than suffer that lifelong disorder. For sure. Um, given that measles has a fatality risk of one in 10,000, you know, you're, you're almost guaranteed not to die from it. But today you're not even going to catch it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, today measles is so rare that it's not that... 
if you do, if you don't vaccinate, you're going to catch measles, and then you might die. You're not even going to catch measles. So then when you're when the question is, well, I'd rather have you know, I'd rather have autism than die of measles. You're not going to die of measles. You're not even going to catch it. So you'd actually that's, rather choose yeah. autism than something that's not even ever going to happen to you. Yeah, it's not like, a autism real is an example, but there there are hundreds of other examples that research is finding, and and I feel like again. Um, People need to, I think, be ready to to shut down that kind of that nonsense argument. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear people say, you know, yeah, I'd rather have, you know, uh, rather have uh, autism than measles. Uh, that's just not a valid argument because it's the correct argument is I'd rather have nothing than autism or nothing than asthma. Right, exactly. Um, is, is the reality of that argument. And then uh, one thing that I think is really important to understand that this study is bringing to light is what it says, the mechanisms that cause the associations between childhood seizures and psychiatric disorders are not clear. I mean, even at this stage of the game, this has been happening for like 50 years, 40, 50 years, and like it's still not clear why it's happening. And what they say, it, it is possible that seizures, febrile and afebrile, themselves or their associated treatment harm the developing brain and Mm. thereby predispose individuals to mental illness in later life. This to me seems extremely plausible and Mm -hmm. something I would have thought before even seeing this study. Seizures themselves or the treatment, which could be something like phenobarbital and medications that you're given, harm the developing brain and they predispose you to mental illness later in life. It said they also see this really bi-directional connection between seizures and psychiatric disorders that leads them also to believe that the common underlying causal factors might exist genetically, and there could be this predisposition. Either way, both of these things are telling you this needs to be researched more. These are not harmless. Mm-hmm. Right. There is a real risk to association with them. And they I know that they are not all from vaccination. So the people that listen to this that are just trying to point out all of the parts where we go wrong, um, the handful of those people that like to tune in, uh, I know they are not only associated with um, vaccines, but unfortunately, vaccines are a big part of what causes them. And because we get so many of them so soon now that you're increasing your odds of being in this position. And knowing that there is new data means we don't know all of Mm -hmm. the facts about this. And maybe we shouldn't, Senator Pan, make a blanket statement that febrile seizures are harmless harmless and they should not qualify for a medical exemption. Maybe in his mind, they're not a contraindication, but as we know from the CDC employees working there that said CDC contraindications were never meant to be used by themselves. Mm -hmm. They were meant to be used in accordance with a doctor. So if you have someone whose parent was hospitalized for febrile seizure and was on phenobarbital through their childhood and another first degree relative has an epileptic disorder with a history of febrile seizures and a child who has had seizures themselves to a DTaP vaccine at two months of age and a, a, a series of other problems. Why would not that be considered sufficient evidence to qualify for a medical exemption according to our state laws and other states' laws? It doesn't make sense when we have data proving that there is such thing as genetic susceptibility. We have data Mm -hmm. proving that febrile seizures now are connected to an increased risk in epilepsy. We have data that's proving that they're connected to psychiatric disorders. There is so much there that needs to be discovered and needs to Mm -hmm. be discussed. And how do we make these kinds of laws based on things and and rule out an entire group of kids um, that are not going to have educational rights because they don't think it's serious enough. And you've got all of these connections here working, and this is exactly why it comes down to a doctor. A doctor should be the one that decides with their patient and their family what factors go in together and what things put you at increased risk and whether or not the prevalence of that particular disease is strong enough for that child in their life circumstance, wherever Mm -hmm. they live and whatever they're, are they in daycare? Are they breastfed? All the things that you go and, you know, that you think about, there's no reason a doctor should not be able to weigh in and say, it is my professional expertise that this is not a safe option for this child. And that discretion should be protected by our state as should be those children. And every single person I've ever discussed this with, somebody taking you in a cab or an Uber, somebody, uh, a legislator, some of their, somebody in their office, a random person you come across in the world. When I've had this discussion, which I always do, um, 
and you mention seizures to them, every single person has said to me, if that happened to their child and our child had a seizure, they think their child should not be mandated to have further vaccines. Hmm. They absolutely see the severity and the potential severity of what that can do to a child. And they do not even believe that we're fighting a law that would not allow children with seizures to be protected. We're talking about even pediatricians don't think that that's okay. And this is the state of where we are. And now we have a new, two new studies that talk about Things that you these are, these are things that we want to give to you guys so you can go have these conversations with your legislators, their offices, maybe your family members that are in the medical community, and show them, yeah, there is there there may be not harmless like we thought they were, and it's okay to admit you are wrong. It's okay that you believed this for thirty years because that's what you were told and that's what the medical establishment believed, but maybe they were wrong. Maybe, and this is what this shows. Why are we so tied into having to continue the narrative? Why can't we just admit it might be wrong and make an adjustment to find a solution? I I mean, don't you feel like that's kind of what's happening across the board? We're so afraid to admit that we did it wrong and people might have been hurt, that we're going to keep holding up that lie forever and ever and ever so more people get hurt because... To them, that's worse than having to admit it. Yeah, and I would say our medical establishment is incapable of, of admitting, admitting that. They're just, they're just yeah. it's physically impossible. So it's going to be up to the people to, to, to force them to, to acknowledge it. So. Well, like I said, we're going to follow up with um, another study that I found specifically dealing with the treatment of febrile seizures during the 80s and 90s and even today with phenobarbital and what that study found, which will be shocking, was also covered by the LA Times back in the 90s. Um, and we'll get that to you in the next couple weeks and months when we're providing all sorts of fun things to talk about and um, as always you have the option to rate and review us only if your review is a five star review (laughs) I'm just kidding and um, and I and I love hearing people that say they share this with people they feel like this is a shareable tool so if that's something that you'd like to do please do that Uh, we want you to feel educated we want others to feel educated and again just to understand why there are people asking questions And this doesn't have to make you or label you anything. This is just about having an honest discourse, which is what we're trying to do here. And we'll continue to do the rest of the season. And we'll see everyone next time on the Vaccine Conversation. information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.